and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Carol Stoby. Carol works with Scotland's Urban Past, a five-year nationwide community engagement project about the history of Scotland's towns and cities. It is part of Historic Environment Scotland, supported by the Heritage Lottery Fund. Scotland's Urban Past project ideas stem from local communities, and the organization helps grow these ideas into full community-led projects by offering training, access to essential resources, and project support. Carol is their audience development officer with an interest in storytelling, folklore, and cultural history. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dale. It is a delight to have you here. Maybe we can start off by telling us why you're here. Why are you here in Newfoundland? I know there's a Newfoundland story and a Newfoundland connection. It's a very special kind of pilgrimage to my birthplace because my family, the Stobies, lived here from 1960 to 74, during which time my dad was the minister at St Andrew's Kirk for part of that time. And we lived in Chestnut Place, Pleasantville Avenue, Patrick Street. So I'm having this incredible opportunity to show my husband and my son, who's 10, the places we lived, um, where I used to play, where I went to school and meeting a couple of the people from my past. So it's a joy. And you've um, been able to get into one of your old houses, you were telling me. You got to have a little little trip down memory lane there, yeah. I've been so lucky. The very kind and gracious person who lives there now allowed us to look around the house and take pictures and for me to reminisce and get misty-eyed about where I used to go sledding down the back lawn in the snow. And all of that was incredibly moving. So how long has it been since you've been here then? I have only had one visit since 1974, and that was 26 years ago. So again, of course, things have changed dramatically in that time. Yeah, and what does your son think of this, uh, getting to come see where his mom's from? He finds it quite amazing, and it's so very different from where we live in Scotland. We're in a seaside town called North Berwick near Edinburgh, and it's all stone houses and utterly different from the brightly coloured wooden houses. He's quite amazed at how very, very contrasting a place yeah. can be. And he's loving hearing the way people speak, yes. which is utterly different, of course, yeah. from what he's surrounded by at home. And yeah, he's he's getting to grips with how it was for me at an, an age similar to him. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about Scotland's urban past and that... Uh, that idea that how, how we kind of discover the hearts of cities or the, our, urban, our urban heritage, our urban history. So it's interesting to, to, to talk about that, uh, that contrast and that comparison b- between you know, the, the houses of Scotland and the houses here, because they are very different. We, we really do Incredible. have two very different senses of place yeah. when we're in these different places. We do. So, so tell me about the organization. How did you get involved? I'm so lucky to have a job like this that involves my community development, adult education background and my interest in heritage. As you said, storytelling, we used to teach women's history and do some tour guiding like yourself. And that has all fed into this project. I am the person who gets to engage with groups and individuals at the very start where they're thinking about becoming involved. They might have a project idea they'd like to ask for help with or they want to contribute in some way to the national record. Scotland's urban past being part of historic environment Scotland, we're involving people with this huge national record of the built environment of Scotland. Mm. And that needs to become something that everyone is involved in and feels a part of and can contribute to. It doesn't just belong to the experts, the archaeologists and architects 
who have, of course, populated it with huge amounts of information. But I get to talk to people who want to share the story of their place and why it's significant to them, why it matters and should be better known. Yeah. So t- tell me, how did the organization come about? Because uh, it's, it, it's not a terribly old uh, project, is it? Scotland's Urban Past has been running for about 18 months now, right. out of its five years. Yeah. One of the reasons it came about was a previous successful project called Scotland's Rural Past. You can probably tell what that was about. <laughs> yeah. And that ran for five years and was a, was a pioneering example of community engagement in heritage and involved a great deal of sharing archaeology skills across rural communities of Scotland and people flocked, people were fascinated and created their own projects and findings were shared right across the nation. As that did so well to to engage communities, they thought, let's now create a project that focuses on the urban. Often people from other countries think of Scotland as, as entirely green and full of castles. And although you've been there yourself, you know it's not quite like that. Mm. Most of us live in cities and towns, actually. And heritage is also about the urban environment. And even if you live in a place that's kind of edgy, kind, kind of tough, perhaps, in some places, it might not have that reputation that we associate with tourist brochures. But it has a story that really matters. The people who've made that place, they deserve their voices to be heard. So the project is all about that. And it's it's sharing anything about a place like a, a building, a street, a neighborhood, a park, a wall. It could be about the graffiti that you see around you. It could be any aspect of that urban place. And if you have stories and findings to share about it, it deserves to be up there, permanently recorded on the national record. That's what we're about. We give you free training and the resources and the support to do that. And whatever the skills are that would help the group to do that Mm -hmm. Um, in any place with more than 3,000 people if it's their idea it's not us saying we think you should do this that and the other it's got to be a community led idea that's the the two crucial things that it's 3,000 or more and it's a community led idea but it's important to say that people here in Newfoundland and, and across the world can also contribute and share in this project you may well have an interest in Scotland because of family origins. A lot of Newfoundlanders do. And they can go on the website and start to explore what's there about the places they know that their forebears came from. Perhaps they found out through research of their own, like our hosts are researching someone who was a great uncle and lived in Ayr. There are things that you might have found from abroad that you might want to share and upload to the record. Or you might want to connect with other people who are researching that place. Hmm. You can all take part if you have an interest in a Scottish town or city. I want to talk to you a little bit about the process that you follow. You said that uh, you are kind of the first point of contact. You are the one that works with the community if they have an idea. That's right. So uh, how does that work? If a community has kind of a general rough idea, they want to do some kind of heritage project, or do they, do they have something very specific? They could be quite broadly considering some ideas and are just interested in what sort of project it is and what what ideas might be out there. So we could begin with a very informal chat face-to-face or on the phone, sometimes by by email, depending on where they are. We can just explore what is of greatest interest to them, what would be helpful. I'll I'll share examples that are also on the website of what, what have we done already? What 
kind of outcomes have there been and how we would work with them. They might have a very specific idea. They've already fully worked up Mm -hmm. and perhaps they've already gained funding from somewhere, but there's an aspect of it that they need help with and we could complement the rest of that. So whatever level of, of development the idea is in, I can talk with them and explore that. We can arrange a visit and take it further to look at what kind of outcomes would be stimulating to them and what kind of skills would be empowering and valuable to the participants. So we can work at it from all different angles mm. and levels. Can you give me an example of a, of a maybe a typical project? Well, one example would be, say, actually, this isn't that typical, but it's a really interesting okay, one. Good. Because it's a youth group yeah. um, in a part of Livingston, which is a new town, one of Scotland's modern development towns in West Lothian, they were a youth project who had looked at their environment and what was needed some years ago. And what they what they identified was really needed was a skate park. And mm-hmm. they're, they're part of the the venture pro- the adventure project there and they fundraised and ultimately gained the funding for a skate park that was a huge source of pride to them and they wanted to share that and let people know about the importance of their place that's their heritage right and we came along at the point where they had the skate park but wanted the world to know and to express their pride in that so we went in and helped with video making skills how do you record and create a video that reflects what you want to say and has your voice all over it that's what these young men were doing and so that that project has now established a new search term on our national record when you went on the the national record which of course looks at all kinds of buildings and environments it didn't include the term skate park right <laughs> now that's that's significant in itself how do we think of heritage nobody had thought of that and yeah. hadn't put it up there before so now it's there and now other people are adding more material about skate parks and they are in in that video expressing the importance of it the pride in it and how that came about so we were negotiating with them to create the product that was most appropriate to them and said what they wanted it to say. And now people are being encouraged to enter new types of search terms, new concepts, if you like, Mm -hmm. of heritage. And and some people I know would say, that's not heritage. But as you know, the concepts are broadening out now. It's about what's important to people about their place. So what was the age range of these uh, these young people that were working on the These skateboard? young people were, were around 15 to 17, 18. Um, and so we can work with that age group, but also with much older people. We're doing oral history projects. For example, a new thing with a rowing club in Glasgow who wanted to celebrate their history. They're exploring their oral history. Mm. So we'll be training them in how do you go about recording and conducting oral history interviews and the outcomes could be anything from video to exhibition to um, festival events there will be all kinds of creative outcomes from that and other projects we've got others another project called the citadel who turned their material from oral history and reminiscence into drama they turn it into scripts which are being performed at the Leith Festival this year, we, we brought a p- professional playwright in to support them in that, in this particular case. So there is a small facility for bringing in creative professionals, but generally we provide 
the free training and resources to help them as much as we can directly. And does it have to be a, a formal group that you work with? Do they have to be an not incorporated group? Okay. Not at all. It's not necessary. They just need to be a group of interested people. They might come together for that purpose. Um, we're very interested in new groupings who want to do something about their place. And it could be particularly we're interested in intergenerational. That's a thing that mm. we're developing at the moment to, to look at how young people and older people can work together on a place. There's a process called community mapping. I don't know if you've come across and it's We've something... We've done a little bit of community mapping. Well, yeah. well I, let's talk I about that then. I would love to yeah. see that. I would love to see examples of that from here because it's a process I've found very enriching right. used in, in community development. Well, then I'm, let's have a little chat about yeah. that because community mapping is something that we've started to do a little bit of work with at the Heritage Foundation. We, we've been developing a project called our people, places, and traditions mapping workshop, where we go into a community and we talk about people and places and traditions, and we get uh, we get community members to start placing some of these things on a map. And, and then it, it helps us build kind of a rough um, inventory, a rough starting inventory anyway, of, of heritage assets in the community. And some of those are very broad. Some of them are the, the assets that people think of, like the heritage buildings and the museums. Sure. But then things like skate parks or people, people would go and pick berries or whatever, yeah. you know, those are all parts of the their heritage as well. So I'm curious about, you know, how you kind of work with community mm. mapping. That's been wonderful. One, one example is in a primary school, that's an elementary school in, in Clyde Bank in the west of Scotland. We went in to work with pupils who were around 10 or 11 and just took a big blank piece of paper and said, please show us your neighborhood on here. And it's got to include the school where we are and try to include where you live and the journeys you take from your school to here. But include not just what's actually there, but what you remember that you pass. This is where she fell off her bike. This right. is where yeah. something happened. They saw this is what you smell on the way. This is what you hear, the noise of the traffic whatever it is and that could be depicted um so there's the intangibles as as you know are just as important as what's actually there physically so they started to create that because we'd worked together for quite a while and looked at looked at the history of their area and done photography they were warmed up they were so excited and they used all the colors you can imagine to create the most fantastic community map of of that area so in this case, I was teaching a group of children, how do you do that process? Now they're going to go to work with some older people in the sheltered housing next door. In fact, that's happening right about now. They're going in to work with that group of older people to show them how to do a community map and represent their view of that exact same area. Mm -hmm. And they're going to compare. What does it look like to an 11-year-old compared to a 75-year-old, what's there, what isn't there, and what does that show about their experience and their worldview? And that can be very empowering. It can be, it can be fed into things like community planning, a very important process for us now. It can be fed into looking at the future of the place as well as the simple reminiscence and memory part of it. It can be quite enlightening and powerful. Yeah. 
I remember um, a local landscape architect talking once about a community planning project that they were working on, and they were working with um, topographic maps of the community. Mm. And he had kids uh, draw out all the places where they played on the map, all the all the, the places where they you know would ride their bikes or where they would you know skate on the ponds in winter or whatever it was. Uh, and then he went with a group of seniors and asked the same question, you know, where did you play when you were kids? And had two separate maps and then kind of overlaid them one Excellent. over the other to to see where these areas of commonality were, these kind of places yeah. where the different uh, generations had similar memories, which I thought was a really interesting Brilliant. idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would love to do exactly that same process. Yeah. We use it in a lot of contexts. It's, it's interesting. We're finding that the community mapping is... Um, I think because it's participatory mm. and uh, and you don't have to be an expert in That's anything. Right. It's all about it's all based on your own personal memories and your personal mm. experiences and your feelings about places. That it is kind of a it is a good way to bring communities together and get people swapping stories. We we had a, a fabulous workshop in New Perlican a little while ago, and uh, people yeah people had lots and lots of great great stories, and and one story kind of would unlock another story. Of course, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's what's magic about it. So tell me a little bit about the oral history work that you do then. Uh, so if a community identifies oral history as something they want to work on, um, you provide workshops in, in how to do oral history. Uh, yes, yes, we can. Yeah. And that will start with the basics of what, what do we mean by oral history? What are you looking for to, to create with this, this idea, this project? Um, who might be involved in it? What kind of memories are we looking for? We can look at how you <coughs> structure an interview. We can then explore with role play, for example, to give people the confidence to create the questions and to draw out the responses in a, an encouraging way and how to then record that process appropriately, even the skills of editing, the skills of how do you then share that? What are the means of sharing that in a wide range of ways? Oral history has has had a great a great history of its own in Scotland, but it's had a great revival of interest now, and I think people are seeing that power to bring generations together mm-hmm. and to have voices that haven't previously been heard, given a greater power, a greater profile. So we're we're very keen to share that. We've had a lot of help from Living Memory Association, who are a brilliant organisation in Edinburgh, who provided some training and expertise on this. But it's going to connect into projects all over the country, and hopefully we'll soon have oral histories that are quite alternative and different from what we've seen in the past. Right. And this is, so these will be oral histories that are done by community people Absolutely. with community people. Yeah, that's Absolutely. very exciting. It's yeah. their own stuff, and it's, it's not led by the experts, and it should be empowering to them. It should be skills that they can then take and use in other contexts with, with greater confidence. And then what, what happens to the material once they've collected it? That's, that's a very interesting point. <laughs> um, we, we have, our, of course, our own facility to share things through the website, and so things can go on that record. Um, there will be sometimes their own websites and facilities, depending on how far the group has developed. They, they may have their own means. But actually, there's a great challenge. When you generate lots of audiovisual mm, material, yes. where does it go? Does it go? And yeah. I don't know how that's been dealt with in Newfoundland, but... We, we do face that challenge along with other agencies such as, such as the National Library of Scotland and the, the Scottish Sound Archive that's developing. There are, there are lots of different agencies trying to meet the challenge of 
where can you actually accommodate such a wealth of material and ensure that it's there in perpetuity and sustainable? Yeah. How is it going to be looked looked after and kept safe? We we find that it's very easy for a community to start to make a recording. It's very then the technology is getting easier and easier all mm. the time and cheaper, and so anyone can go out and kind of do oral histories and collect them. But then the challenge is, yeah, what does what happens with all this material? Mm. And uh, we're very fortunate here in, in St. John's to have an excellent partnership with the, the Memorial University Library, which has a digi- the digital archives initiative so we're able to put a lot of that community information online Um, but we're finding that one of the other big things that we're doing at the moment is helping communities um, improve access to stuff that they had collected you know 20 30 years ago you know which is sitting in in a box under someone's bed (laughs) so we like we like to share those stories we like to get those stories out and and around to people yep and putting things into different formats Um, I'm facing challenges of that like that of my own with family material People need to to be given help in how to rescue that material that's under right. the bed as well and how to translate it into appropriate formats. And that's that's something that's going to be happening. For example, a group of guys in, in Campbelltown in Argyll in the west of Scotland, we, we have a lovely group we're going to be working with called the Old Pals who are average in their mid-80s. And they they are this extraordinary wealth and fund of of legacy. Um, they want to leave to Campbelltown community, and so we're going to help them create an interactive digital map and create the oral history recordings, also drawing on existing material to to pin that on mm-hmm. digitally, so that they their faces and voices will be there to tell you. But what used to happen down that alleyway? What used to happen in the old bakery shop that used to be there? Yeah. And what used to go on at the back row of the cinema? Goodness knows what's going to come out of that. <laughs> but that's that's going to be a brilliant way to, to help the, the folk around them working with that group, which was set up to reduce isolation. It, was, it wasn't an oral history project. It's about being together. Sure, yeah. The groups don't need to be history or heritage groups at all. They yeah. should be any kind of group at all that is just interested in saying something about their place. I think that's really important, you know, because I think sometimes in communities here, people think, oh, heritage is something that those people at the museum do. Yep. That's not about us. Yep. You know, it's, it's something that, you know, the people in the folklore department, you know, study. That that's It's right. not about, you know, the, the person on the street. When, when really their, their stories are critically important to understanding community. Yep. Yeah. So what is the what is the community response when you go in? Are, are people enthusiastic? Are they delighted to have you come in? How does that uh, how does that play out? It's it's a mixture of us going to places to to re- get responses and and just responding to people who have heard about us and come to us. Uh, a lot comes about online and um, through social media and people hearing and thinking. Well, that sounds valuable. Somebody in Oban said, "Oh, I've heard about you on Twitter." We'd love to know if you're interested and and being very pleased that we're willing to go across to open and sit mm-hmm. down and have a chat. They're, they're developing the old high school there and turning that into an arts and well-being and heritage centre. So it's all sorts of different elements. But we will help the people who've created oral history projects there to share that on, on, a, on a heritage trail. But I think the response is is warmed up by face-to-face contact. As you say, a lot of people, even the word heritage turns them off. And they need to to have the conversation together to understand that it's 
it's about you and your lives and your stories and your occupation of that place. It isn't just for uh, the certain section of the library bookshelves. Yeah. So I think I need to bring about those conversations as much as possible rather than merely preaching to the converted. Mm -hmm. When we get conversations going with other agencies, that really helps. And I've gone out and helped us create connections with voluntary third sector agencies because of my background, with community learning and development, with the Storytelling Centre, who you'll know well in Edinburgh. They, they are very interested in all these matters and also seek to reach groups that are not conventionally involved in these sort of projects. It could be mental health service users. They could be recently arrived migrants, um, refugees. Those are going to be invaluable places to create conversations and to find out what they want to share about place and their experience of that place. Mm -hmm. I think heritage has the potential to be a, a, a tool to, to help you do other types of projects. You know, it's not necessarily just the project in itself. Her heritage isn't the end result. Heritage is mm -hmm. kind of the process that allows you to have these in in incredibly important community conversations. I agree. Yeah. And um, what would make me feel good is to have a sense that we'd created new skills, new confidence and the power to go on and do still greater things as a result of the project. You're, you're 18 months into a five-year program, mm -hmm. but you mentioned the Scotland's Rural Past uh, project, yes. which ran for five years. Were there, were there kind of long-term um, results that came out of that project that you'd like to see happen again? I, I think the long-term effect was to create a lot of very, very powerful and confident groups of people mm. who have gone on to do project after project in those those areas of Scotland from from Mull to the Northern Highlands it it's having implanted the skills to to do what they choose to do and that's the same process that we ultimately want to see they still have material that's up on the national record and they're still adding to it um, and that's still happening from other parts of the world as well and we hope that that will continue with the national record and historic environment Scotland continuing the community engagement process and broadening it out. Mm. Is there a is there a skill set or a need that you that you see most often? Is there something that communities come and ask for time and time again? I think it's coming in different waves actually. Um, in the first year of the project we had a particular range of requests for video and photography so there's been a great deal of that. Of course you can adapt that to so many purposes that's a brilliant thing. Now we're getting a wave of requests for oral history, mm -hmm. as maybe one group hears about what we've done, another group picks that up. So it's going to happen to, to generate across the country online. And then hopefully another wave of things we're really looking for, um, artistic, creative outcomes from drama to storytelling to visual arts. Who knows what will be the next wave of interest that we can work with. Is there is there something on the horizon? Is there a community that you are going home to work with? There's there's a lot of them. Um, I'm really keen to develop into uh, areas where there are not so many urban environments, but there there is there are the beginnings of something going on in Shetland, where there's an, a strong intergenerational interest, but also um, looking at things like the buildings of of uh, Lerwick. We're looking at Orkney, we're looking at the Western Isles, and in each case, there may only be one place that qualifies, but we want to hear their voices. 
to really represent a wider range. So we're we're going to head into the northern and western parts of Scotland, where we have quite a lot going on in Edinburgh and Glasgow and the Central Belt. But we really want to hear from people across those other areas. And similarly, even people in Newfoundland who may have connections in those areas, who knows yeah. what, can, what might come about as a result of this. Uh, now, if people want to get more information about the work they're doing, where can they go? Our website is scotlandsurbanpast.org.uk. And if they want to email, they can reach me on sup at rcahms.gov.uk. And that's going to reach the, the audience development aspect of the whole project. Okay. And I know the website uh, has information on the different types of training programs that it you does. offer. And uh, there are some great resources there and, and examples of past projects. So, you know, people anywhere in the world can look at what you're doing and kind of maybe get some ideas for themselves. And they can become urban detectives, <clears throat> which is something anyone can become involved in. If they have an interest in Scotland's towns and cities, it will help them develop the skills to research and to share what they found and to read the past in the urban environment above all. Great. Well, Carol, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know this was kind of last minute and you're on vacation, so I, I always appreciate when people come in and take time Pleasure. to chat. Thank you very much. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. We would love to know what you think of the show. You can leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ich underscore nl. Thanks for listening. <laughs>